please join me for the reading. Our scripture comes from 2 Timothy 1.13. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Jesus Christ. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he has gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Let's pray together, friends. Father, our only hope in life and in death uh, is that we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to him not because we are good, not because we earned it, not because we're better than anyone else, but simply and purely by his grace. From eternity, long before our first thought or our first word, you set your love on us. And it's that love that holds us fast that we just sang about. Holds us secure, holds us in this life, holds us in death, holds us in the life to come. Holds our souls, holds our bodies, holds our minds, holds our hearts, holds all that we are and all that we one day will be in Christ. Father, this is the glorious mystery of the gospel. And our only response is worship and gratitude and thanksgiving for all you've done for us. And so we ask you this morning to teach us again of the depths of your all-sufficient grace. Teach us how to be fully and completely satisfied in Christ and how to cling to nothing in this world but Jesus. Pray in his matchless name and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, team. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
You know how much I love that title, Reverend, right? Anyway, 50 years old is hard to believe. Usually my birthdays come and go, and it's not really a big deal, but I will admit this year's a little different. It hit me, uh, it hit home the other night when Christy and I were at Legend High School to watch the orchestra play, and uh, when I walked into the auditorium, one of the parents said, hey, which, which student are you here to see? And I was like, I'm actually here for the director. <laughs> so I know you know you're getting old. Um, if you don't know, our oldest Chloe has been serving over there as the interim orchestra teacher, um, which is pretty cool. Anyway, it's awesome to watch your adult children grow up, do what they love, right? Um, but it's a little sobering to think about what that might mean for you. And so again, I'll admit this year means a little bit more. My wife thinks I'm totally boring, by the way, when it comes to birthdays, and she's right. Um, but I did remind her that's probably a good thing because she's already making plans for her 50th in about 18 months. She's talking to an event planner, flying in friends. It's going to be awesome, but I may need to do some Uber runs to pay for it. So let me know if you need to go to the airport. All right? <laughs> All right, today we are starting the second part of our 2 Timothy series, and so we're looking at these two deeply personal letters from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to his adopted child in the faith, Timothy. And if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, why don't you grab them, open up to 2 Timothy, which if you're not familiar with the Bible, is towards the end of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black book in the chair or pew in front of you, you can grab that. Um, Take that out. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that. Let that be our gift to you. This letter is deeply significant for lots of reasons, but not least of which is the fact that it is the final letter we have from the Apostle Paul before he was martyred for his faith in Rome. It's kind of his last will and testament, his last opportunity to pass on whatever knowledge he has left to Timothy. You know, I remember when I graduated from seminary, um, you know, back in 2002, and uh, we were on our way to our first church in Mobile, Alabama, and super excited about that. We stopped over in Franklin, Indiana to see my grandfather, who was one of my spiritual heroes. Now, my granddad had been a pastor for almost 80 years. Started preaching when he was 14, all right, and didn't really stop until he was like 88, 89 years old. Now he was like 92, 93, um, and he was uh, having all sorts of health issues sort of at the end of his life there. And my mom warned me as I walked into that room. She said, you know, Grandpa just had a kind of a mini stroke, and he's paralyzed, and he may not have much to say. Um, and so I, I go into the room, and man, he, he motioned for me to, to have a seat. And for the next two hours, proceeded to talk my ear off about, you know, everything, you know, what it meant to lead a church and be a pastor. He wanted to do all he could to pass on that knowledge before he died. And his most important words, I will never forget them because they're so very similar to what Paul shares here with Timothy in our passage today. His most important words to me were, stay true to the gospel. Stay true to the gospel. I've never forgotten that. You know, and the first funeral I actually did as an ordained pastor was for my grandmother and grandfather. They died within two weeks of each other. All right? It was, it was such a beautiful thing. It was amazing. Now, the book of 2 Timothy is a gospel-centered letter. I know that's true probably for all of Paul's letters, of course, but maybe especially true in this one. In chapter 1, as we're going to see today, Paul charges Timothy to do all he can to guard the gospel, to guard this deposit that God has entrusted with him. Chapter 2 is all about suffering for the gospel. Chapter 3 is about persevering in the gospel. And chapter 4 is finally about proclaiming the gospel. Above all else, Paul wants Timothy to place his trust in the gospel, to wrap his life around the gospel, to center his preaching and his teaching and his ministry on the gospel. Nothing else matters to Paul. 
And 2 Timothy is a different letter than 1 Timothy, because that's probably because of where Paul was at in life. I mean, again, he's at the end of his life, and he is thinking, what, what is the most important thing I can pass on to Timothy so that this gospel can continue to flourish and grow and thrive in the world? You know, when he wrote that first letter, he was still on the road. He was still hoping to come and visit Timothy in Ephesus. Um, that was his hope. Now he finds himself in solitary confinement. In the, in the, in the Mamertine prison in Rome, most likely a deep, dark, underground chamber with only like a little hole in the roof for a little light and a little air. Conditions in prisons back in the first century were brutal. There was no such thing as human rights, okay? They were terrible. Disease was rampant. Food was scarce. Uh, the prisoners were treated as inhumanely as possible, and Paul's already had his final court hearing. He fully expects to be executed as part of the persecution that Nero has unleashed in the city. And his, most of his family, most of his friends have abandoned him. You heard a couple of them right in our passage today. Phygellus and, and Hermogenes have abandoned him along with many, many others. He's lonely. He's cold. At the end of this letter, he asks Timothy to bring the cloak that he left at Troas where he's probably arrested. He's in a tough place. And yet he's content as well, as, as Will pointed out last week, because his hope is set not on the things of this world, but on his faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And his heart is to see his beloved child in the faith one final time before he dies. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you hear the tenderness in Paul's words there, right? The love he has for this young man. He sees Timothy as the legitimate heir to all of his apostolic authority. And that makes sense because Timothy has co-authored at least five of Paul's letters in the Bible. Second Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians all come from Paul and Timothy. Paul, or Timothy has represented Paul to the churches in Macedonia and Corinth and Philippi and Ephesus. And Paul himself says there was no one like Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. No wonder he wanted to see this young man one last time. Now, we don't know if, if Timothy actually made it to Paul's side before he was executed, but Paul certainly was passionate about making sure to pass on a gospel-centered legacy. That's why he writes it all down in this letter. Now you think about that. Think about what you would say if you were in Paul's position. What would you want your children to know or your grandchildren or your closest friends? If you had one letter to write to them, what would you include? The Apostle Paul focuses on the most precious gift a person can ever be given, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen to how he describes it in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. When a person comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? You have the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the, 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 the presence of the living God living inside you, transforming you even now from the inside out, changing you more and more with each passing day into the image of Christ. Yeah? And your job is not to resist the Spirit, not to grieve the Spirit, 
Not to ignore the Spirit. The Bible says we can do all of those things. No, well, our job is to simply open ourselves to the Spirit, to surrender to the Spirit's work. Let Him do His work in us. That's how we fan into flame the gift God has given us. Timothy. Timothy was a pretty timid young man. That's why Paul has to encourage him. He wasn't as bold as Paul. He wasn't as strong or courageous as Paul. At least that's what we gather from the text as we read these words. Paul has to remind him, you're not given a spirit of fear, Timothy. You've not been given a spirit of shame or condemnation. You've been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. You know, I often get asked how I'm able to relate to so many people uh, from so many different walks of life. I mean, I got friends across the political, economic, social, and faith spectrum. Honestly, there really isn't any secret to it, to be honest, just because I simply believe what Paul says here to Timothy. I've got nothing to fear from this world or from any human being in this world because I've been given a spirit of power. And greater is he that is in me than is in the world. Amen? Right, that, that, that's how it works. And because I've got this spirit of power, I'm not free to dominate. That's not why God gives me power. I'm free to love. I'm free to love. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. i got great friends who are serving life sentences in New Jersey State Prison for committing some of the most horrific murders you can imagine. And I've got friends who've been walking with Jesus their entire lives. i got friends who live across the globe who are living in life-threatening poverty, and I have friends who have been financially blessed beyond all measure. i got friends who work for progressive causes and friends who work for conservative causes. And again, I am free to love them because I've been given a spirit of power and a spirit of unconditional love that allows me to meet them where they are at and love them as they are, all the while looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them and encourage them. Amen? That's what it's about. And that same spirit not only gives me power and love, he also gives me self-control. So guess what? I don't have to blast off on social media when my atheist friends come at me. And some of you know and have seen some of those conversations that I've had online. I don't have to get frustrated when other friends I've got question my motives or character. I don't have to get angry when I feel attacked or demeaned or deliberately misunderstood. You know, I remember a counselor years ago, this was so awesome, a counselor years ago teaching me this when, when I was struggling to deal with the anger issues I was having with one of my children. And he said, you haven't been given a spirit of anger, Doug, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. And so lean into the spirit and let your anger go. Literally the best advice I have ever been given is completely transform my relationships with my children. Right? That's, that's the legacy we receive, friends, when we come to faith. It's, it's, given to, it's a gift given to all Christians throughout all of time, and it's, it's a gift that is, that is given, and, and, it, and, it, and the expectation is that it will be reinforced by those around you. So, for example, having a spiritual mentor, right? 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. Do you have someone in your life like this? Do you have someone in your life who prays for you day and night? Someone who remembers your tears? Someone who longs to see you and spend time with you and pour into you. You know, most of you know that I've had the same Christian mentor for almost 30 years now. Don Bachman, retired IBM exec, retired early to minister to college students up at CU. And I was one of the lucky ones that he invited into his life. Every month, we still meet down at the REI downtown, off Platt Street, by the aquarium there. 
And he just pours into me. He's in his 80s now. He just pours into me. And if he were here, he could show you a book listing every prayer request going back 30 years that I have ever asked of him and the answer that God has given. It's unbelievable. Do you have someone like Don in your life? Are you that person to someone else? Are you that person to someone else? If nothing else, think of your family. Are you that person in your family? Right? Paul says, don't just have a spiritual mentor. He, he says, this is literally how God has designed the godly family to work. 2 Timothy 1.5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy was a blessed man. Though the men in his family were most likely not believers, otherwise Paul would have mentioned them, his mother and grandmother were. They were the original Hopeful Hearts group. All right, You might know about that ministry here. Praying for their husbands and their children and their grandchildren to come to faith. And God has answered their prayers in Timothy. Do you pray with and for your children? Do you, uh, do you talk to them about Jesus? Is Jesus a living presence in your home or is it just something that you do on Sunday mornings? Right? Do you intentionally wrap your family life around the gospel? That's what it means to leave a gospel-centered legacy, friends. Amen? Amen. Of course, Paul's not just interested in a legacy. He wants to encourage Timothy to build a gospel-centered life in the here and now, right? A life wrapped around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how does one build a gospel-centered life? Well, I'm glad you asked, Jeremy. Uh, right? We, we, we first of all focus on Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we need to do all we can to align our life with his life, align our ways with his ways, align our truth with his truth. 2 Timothy 1.10 says that the life God has called each of us to live, the gospel-centered life, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And what that means is God has not left anything to chance. God has not, does, not, does not leave us guessing. He leaves no doubt about what a life lived for him looks like. He sends us his one and only begotten son, the second member of the triune God, taking on flesh and blood and becoming one of us. By suffering and dying on a cross, Jesus defeats the powers and principalities of sin and evil that seek to oppress and terrorize our world. He abolishes death once and for all, and he offers eternal life to all those who will place their faith in him. And the reason why we Christians call this good news is because all he asks of us is faith, right? We don't have to do anything to earn it, right? We don't have to prove ourselves to him. We simply have to open our hearts to all he wants to do in and through us. And by the way, if you haven't done that, we're going to give you a chance to do that before we come to the table this morning in a few minutes as we pray. Second, as we focus on Christ and all he's done for us, we become aware, deeply aware, I would say, of his claim on our lives. And that's what Paul means when he tells Timothy that he's been called to a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1.9, because Christ saved us, he now calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. Friends, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your life is no longer your own. All right? Your future, no longer your own. Your possessions, 
no longer your own. All that you have, all that you are is now God's to do with as he chooses. Why? Because you have been bought with a price. You have been purchased off the slave block of this world, set free by the power of Christ, and and called now to offer your life back to him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This has always been God's plan for your life. So if you want to know what is God's plan for my life, this is it. Offer your life back to him as a living sacrifice sacrifice. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about from eternity, from before the beginning of time, from before the world began, right? Before the ages began, God has had this plan for you and this plan for me, a holy calling that is placed on each of our lives. And we find our greatest joy and our deepest fulfillment when we answer that call to live for him. Amen? Amen. So third, those who focus on Jesus and embrace his calling in their lives are then proud of their testimony. Proud of their testimony. You know, the cross of Christ was an absolute scandal in the ancient world. People who heard or witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus would have been horrified. No one, literally no one, not a single person in the ancient world would ever choose to worship a God who died a criminal's death. That makes no sense whatsoever. Both Jews and Gentiles viewed crucifixion as the most shameful death possible. The whole experience was designed to degrade and demean and ultimately dehumanize. It's why it was reserved for the lowest classes of criminals. It's why Romans would not ever speak of it in polite company. The preaching of a crucified God in the first century would have been blasphemous to the Jews, absurd to the Gentiles. It would have made those early followers of Christ look and sound insane. But not only did those early Christians proudly testify of a God who would willingly die the lowest death possible. They actually believed his resurrection turned all that shame into glory, and so they gladly identified with him. I love what Paul says in the first part of 2 Timothy 1.8. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Though Paul finds himself in the worst circumstances possible, awaiting execution in the depths of a Roman prison, he boldly describes himself not as Nero's prisoner, but Christ's. Right? He may be in Caesar's dungeon, but Nero has no power over him. Nero has no authority over him. Yes, Nero may take his life, but Paul knows something Nero does not. Christ has abolished death. Christ has abolished death. He has removed any need for the fear of death. Christ has won the victory over death. So even if Paul is beheaded, which is exactly what happens according to church history, Paul can face that executioner head held high. And he wants the same for Timothy, and he wants the same for all of us. Amen? Be proud of your testimony. Now, Just because you're proud of your testimony doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. That's not what Paul's promising here, right? Quite the opposite. It's going to require you to embrace suffering. And I know that's really hard for us. And we do everything we can to avoid that. But Paul says, no, following Christ requires us to embrace suffering. It requires you to embrace pain and heartache on some level. Because by embracing Christ, we are acknowledging that this world is not our home. 
We weren't, we weren't built for this world. We weren't made for this world. We weren't designed for this world. So there's always going to be something in us that feels at odds, okay, with what is happening all around this. In this world, we will face tribulation, Jesus says. In this world, we will have trials. In this world, we will have adversity. Look at 2 Timothy 1.8 again, this time the second part of that verse. Yes, we are not to be ashamed of Jesus, but we are to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Jesus is clear, friends. We are in this world, but we are not of this world, and so we should not expect the world to love us. And we should not expect the world to respect us. And we should not expect the world to embrace us, much less embrace Christ. The world persecuted Christ. And the servant is not greater than his master, and so we on some level should expect to be persecuted as well. That doesn't mean that we should go running around looking for it or seek to manufacture it, right? But it does recognize the reality that in this world, that this world is not our home, and we should never expect to feel at home in it. Amen? Yeah. The final thing Paul tells Timothy is he says, I want you to guard the good deposit God has made in you. I love how he puts it in 2 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. He says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, Timothy, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit, the good deposit entrusted to to you. you see, Paul was not philosophizing in the dark. He was not interested in creating another ethical system. There were plenty of those out there in his world. He wasn't engaged in speculation or wishful thinking. He wasn't promoting myths or morality tales. Paul could face death with his head held high because he knew in whom he had believed. He could stand at the end of his life completely and utterly unashamed because he knew who guarded his life. He was a man immune to fear, a man immune to anxiety because he had cast all of his cares on Christ and found him faithful. And now what Paul is doing is reaching out from his Roman prison, across the, the, the boot of Italy, across the Adriatic Sea, across Greece and the Aegean Sea to Ephesus, and he's inviting, he's calling Timothy to join him, not just in Rome, but in this awesome and mighty and, and wonderful work of lifting up the name of Jesus. And friends, guess what? His hand is reaching out to us as well across the centuries, inviting us in, inviting us to be part of the mystery and the glory of the gospel. I love how one African preacher so famously put it. This is like my favorite quote in all the world. He says, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. I will not give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. Isn't that great? So awesome, right? I can't wait to go back here in a month, right? I mean, it's just going to fill me up. It's going to be awesome, right? And, and does that describe you this morning? Are you a disciple of Jesus? 
You someone who wants to passionately follow him, give your life as a living sacrifice to him. Have you shown the same gospel-centered loyalty that Timothy demonstrated or Onesiphorus there at the end of the chapter, right? Have you dedicated your life to honoring those around you, refreshing those who are struggling or hurting, seeking earnestly the lost, serving those in need, all in the name of Jesus? Are you a disciple, friends? If you are, then this table is for you. Paul says that everything we do, right, the sharing and the suffering, all of that is by the power of God. It's not by our power. Thanks be to God. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not bold enough. I can't do this. I need the Holy Spirit living inside me to empower me and strengthen me for the work that he has called me to. And that is why Jesus gives us this meal. He says, you're going to need more than food. You're going to need more than energy, more than a good night's sleep. You're going to need my presence living inside you. He says that to his disciples as they sat around that table that, that last night when they had that meal together. He says, they don't know what's coming, right? They have no idea what's about to happen, right? And Jesus knows, and he says, hey, as we head into tomorrow and into the you know, years ahead, I want you to take and eat and know that this is my body that has been given for you. And every time you eat of it, I want you to remember me. And then after supper, Jesus takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, I want you to remember me. And the Apostle Paul tells us that every time we eat the bread and every time we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death. We proclaim the power of God until he comes again, friends. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, one of our things here, if you're new with us, is we love bringing our children in for communion. Because i got to tell you, this kind of thing has to be caught more than it's taught. And as parents and grandparents and spiritual parents and spiritual grandparents, it is our responsibility as a body to teach our children what this meal means so that the gospel can get passed on to the next generation. And all of us have a duty, all of us have a job, all of us have a role to play in that, friends. So whether you serve at VBS or kids ministry or you're just sitting next to someone this morning and you want to reach down and pat that little guy or that little gal on the head and say, we're glad you're here. Whatever that is, that's our responsibility. That's what God is calling us into this morning. I'm going to ask our elders to come on down who are serving this morning. Um, just to let you know how we do this, these two uh, trays will be on the outside, the gluten-free trays. So if you have a gluten allergy or sensitivity, want to encourage you to go to the outside stations. And we'll have three stations with matzah here, here, and here. Certainly encourage you to come and, and, uh, and take communion at one of those stations as well. We don't release by rows or anything like that. We simply invite you to come as you feel led. Our worship team is going to come on back up. They're going to play a little music as, as all this is going by. I want to offer just a brief word of prayer because there may be people here Maybe people online who do not know Jesus Christ. And friends, I'm telling you, the love of God is here for you. You can put aside all the shame. You can put aside all the heartache. You can put aside all the pain. Everything you've been struggling with, Jesus is here to take all of that away 
into himself and offer you the gift of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray and let's ask God to change our hearts. Father, we just give you thanks. We know, Lord, there are uh, people here every week who, who don't know you, and that, that's okay. I was, that was me. That was me 30 years ago. I didn't know you. I've been in church my whole life and had never accepted you as my Lord and Savior, never begun that relationship with you. And so, Lord, we want to provide that opportunity this morning as we come to the table. We ask God that you would move on our hearts. And if there's anyone here or is anyone watching online who has not yet received Jesus, just to pray this simple prayer. It's not complicated. It's, it's just, Father, I need you. I need your son, Jesus Christ, in my life. I've heard about the love of God, and I want that love of God. I want to experience it. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good this morning. And so, Father, I give you my heart. And I know that this is just the start. It's just the beginning of a lifelong journey, but I, I want to begin today, and I give you my heart. I offer to you my body as a living sacrifice. Make it holy and pleasing to you, we pray. That's a prayer that you prayed. You are welcome at this table. You've become part of the family of God, and we give you thanks for that. And encourage you to come talk to one of us after the service. Lord, we just give you thanks for all that you're doing in our midst, bringing people to faith, drawing people to yourself. That's what you do. You're a good Father. We give you thanks in the name of Christ and all God's people said. Amen. All right, come as you feel led, friends.